This is Emmanuel Today. Taking steps towards God's possible in your life. We've been a lot of different places in the stories of Joshua. Some of them are epic and many known uh, famously around the world. The, the stories of the sun standing still or the, uh, the, the river being split open and Israel walking across on dry land and, and Jericho and the walls of Jericho falling down. And of course, there's great things to learn from the scripture. But as we move forward, you might be tempted as you go into the next part of the book as it moves into about chapters 11, 12, all the way through about 22. There's a series of descriptions of tribes and cities and geographical locations that become the place where Israel now moves into. And if you're like me, which many of you are, you might be tempted to just fly over it and go, well, this is stuff I'm not going to learn anything from. I'm going to go to another story. But in the Bible, this is the most important part of Joshua, actually. Because if you recall, all of Israel had received the promise to go to a promised land that God had for them. They had wandered into, in the desert, and Moses had led them, and Moses died. Joshua says, uh, okay, I'll take the reins, because God had anointed him, and God told him to be strong and courageous, very strong and courageous. And then he begins to lead Israel, and they begin to go to war, essentially, and go into conquering uh, in battle. And by the way, if you look at something like this, you might feel bad looking backward at why is all this murder and war and stuff happening in the scripture. And I want to remind you that the Joshua is actually planted in a larger story called the whole Bible. And, and, and actually, as you read Genesis through chronologically, you'll discover that people were way away from God. Their minds weren't on him. They lived corruptly. They had murder and evil in their hearts. And God progressively unfolded his plan in the life of the story of people that we see. So what you see in Genesis, God begins to bring a new revelation, and when that new revelation comes in, they had to change. But then we get into Joshua, and guess what? They're living like they've always lived. They live like the nations around them. And then God gives them revelation later on, and they change their ways. By the time you get to the New Testament, you discover that the people aren't doing what you see in Joshua. Now they're living out the heaven uh, design, the the peace and the love and the joy. They're They're not going to war. They're instead turning the other cheek, and they're following Jesus' way. They're full of the Spirit of God and the fruit of the Spirit of God. And so you just got to remember where it sits contextually in the story. We can still learn from it, but it, it does get better as you go through the, the rest of the scripture. Now chapter 12, just follow along with me, okay? Chapter 12, um, you begin to see headings for what happens here. Those of you who've been reading through the Bible with us and our daily devotions we've been posting on Facebook and stuff, This is a part of it. But you'll see kings defeated east of the Jordan. Kings defeated west of the Jordan. So then there's a whole set of kings. You can see where it's a chronicling of what occurred as they moved into the land. The land, chapter 13, the land yet to be conquered. Anybody got that heading in your Bibles Um, or something similar to that? So it's talking about lands and now the land east of the Jordan, the allotment for the tribe of Levi, 
the land given to the tribe of Gad. And what you have here as we move forward is tribe after tribe, the establishment of how they're going to settle into the new land. So after hundreds of years of wandering and being mobile and living in tents, they are now going to settle into specific locations, and God had designed for that to happen. And as they moved in, they were moving into that territory, if you will. And this is what I want you to consider. When God gives a promise, he gives it for the long haul. When he drops a seed in your heart, a dream in your heart, it isn't temporary, it's meant to be sustained. It's meant to last. The Bible thinks long, if you will. I want us to think long with our faith. You aren't just meant to be a Christian when you're a teenager and you like youth group. You're meant to follow Jesus when you go to college. And as an adult, and when you go through up times and down times, when you go through a divorce, you still can follow Jesus. You can get back up on your feet. When you go through job loss or difficult experiences, that's not an excuse to leave your promise. It's a time to lean into what God wants because he's interested in the long haul. Jesus said in John 15, 16, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. Say that with me, lasting fruit. So what God is doing in you is meant to last, built to last, meant to stay. I want you to look at the person next to you in the eyes and say, you're meant to stay in the kingdom. Yeah. And that's the way he thinks about us. Eugene Peterson said it this way, discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. So what you have here now is people are settling in. It's moving from temporary to permanency, okay? So each chapter, the Lord give, uh, the land given to the tribe of Judah, chapter 15, land given to Caleb, we talked about that last week. Chapter 16, the land given to Ephraim and West Manasseh, and the land given to Ephraim, it says. And then the chapter 17, the land given to West Manasseh, and it gives it more specific. Chapter 18, the allotments of the rem remaining land. So what you see is this is really important stuff, and, and uh, they're going to stay there. And this is what I, I want you to catch today, that wherever you are, wherever you settle in, it matters. And it will have an impact not only on you, but in the generations after you. And the activity that's around you, the relationships that you have around you, the career that you chose, the, the season of life you're in, perhaps you're now into a season where you're an empty nester, you have a little bit more money than you did when your kids were bleeding you dry, you go on vacation more often, the options become more. Not only are you settling into a new season, but that season that you're settling into will impact your faith. And it'll impact your dream. And so you need to be wise about that. We'll talk about that in a few moments. Because it'll have a long-term impact. So in wherever your situation is, you need to choose your best. Settle for your best. You may not have the choice about the job you're in because you lost the last one and you're in between. It's not your dream job. 
You may not choose the house you live in or the apartment or wherever it is that you live, but you're in that seat. You may not wish that you were single right now, but you're in that kind of season of life. You may not want and you might miss having kids in the home and you're in the empty nest season of life. But let me say this, when you're in that season, it's important that you choose your best to settle into. That you don't just settle for what everybody else is doing because listen friends, if my parents did not choose to have me be in church whether I wanted to go or not, if I had not gone through those experiences, other things would have impacted me, lived in the same house, but this soul would have been damaged. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? And so for you and I, to settle is to sit or come to rest in a comfortable position. That's not a bad thing. But you, you are going to move from the promise into settling in. And when you settle in, choose to settle in your best. For all of the tribes, their goal was to retain what was won. And so as we've looked through Joshua 11 to 22, what you see is, not only have they conquered, but now they're moving into settling. They're moving to make it a rhythm and a permanent decision in their life. I don't know where you are in your faith, in your faith story, in your level of following Christ, but there has to be moments when it's not just a phase. It's not just something you do when you're around other people, but you move to it being permanent in your life. And even if other people leave, you aren't going to. You're in and you're gonna stay in. The decisions that you've made, the resolve that you have, you're going to stick with it. That has to happen in your life. You need to learn to make a decision to settle into that. Now you see lots of different kinds of descriptions in each of these locations and buildings and cities and towns and areas where the tribes were settling in. But they were all intentional steps to retain what was already won. How are you going to retain what God has already done in your life? How are you going to make sure that that doesn't get lost? That's the question. And when you sign documents, if you will, for a house, how many of you ever signed a document for a mortgage or, or a loan of some sort? How many know when you're sitting there, and they bring out a big old stack of paper. They've like killed a hundred trees. I'm like, where are the environmentalists in this part of the world, right? They gotta come up with a different way to do it. And then you gotta sit there and you take out your pen and you're signing, signing. After a while you're like, I just believe it. I'm not reading it. I'm not, is this good? You're like, do I trust you? The person that's asking you to sign. And they're like, it's okay, it's okay. And you're thinking, man, if you wanted to, you could really mess me up right now. But all of that signing is meant to make it locked down and secure that what it is that you're purchasing could never be second-guessed. That this is yours. The dimensions of your house. The boundary lines of the property. And this is what's happening in Joshua. They are now putting it in paper, if you will. It's becoming permanent. And whatever is going on in your story, you need to make sure you make it permanent. If you're following Jesus, you need to make sure that you go through the process and make sure that it becomes not just a promise, not just an emotion on Sunday morning, not just a momentary, get me out of jail, Jesus, and I'll serve you forever for a week, but it's got to become something that becomes permanent. 
And that process is intended to leave no doubt when you are living in the house three years later, you own this place. If someone were to come along and question the boundaries, the you can go to the archives and they'll take you to a specific geographical marker that unequivocally declares your ownership. This is God's, okay? Now I want to shift this into thinking in, for you and I, into understanding that when we follow the Lord, we have a responsibility to take on what he says is our promise, but we also have a responsibility to make sure it's in our life after the promise, that it's retained in our story. So once you think of a will, you know what a will is? A will is a document that when open dictates the desire and the permission of a person who has died. Who gets what? Who gets grandma's favorite painting? Who gets the piano? Who gets the end tables? Who gets the kitchen table? Who gets the car that she never drove? All those things are dictated in the will, okay? You go to an attorney to discover or a judge what was in the will. And all you have to do is go back to original documents and you will see, yes, indeed, this is mine. For Joshua and the people of God, they would be able to come back someday and be able to see the tribal name, the family name, the property was given to them by eternal authority. It was theirs. Land distribution is the inheritance. For you and I, though, we have a responsibility to look at what is our inheritance and to look at the will for that determination. And this is why it's so important for us to engage in the word of God. It's critical for your life. Why? Because friends, this is the will. When you're looking at your life, you're trying to interpret, is this of the promise? Or you're feeling negative about what's going on in your story. That's not time for you to give up and think that God hates you. That's time for you to look back in the word of God and see who he says you are and what is yours as a child of God. For example, if you were going to Genesis chapter 1 in the will, you'll discover that it says God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. In other words, you are a child of God created to be just like it. You're not a mistake. You have divine DNA all over you, baby. That's what the word says. So when the lies of the enemy come in and you begin to think that you're worthless or maybe somebody has spoken that over your life or you've made a mistake or you've done something you wish you hadn't done and the lie goes in your head, you might as well give up because you don't matter anyway or you've forfeited your inheritance. You can go back to the word of God and discover that no, you are special. He's made you in his image. He's not done. And how many know that God is one who doesn't quit. He doesn't give up. He leaves the 99. He goes after the one. Can I get an amen? Come on, somebody. When you're wondering about yourself and whether or not you're unique, you can go into the will in Psalm 139 and you can discover, he says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. So when the lie is coming in, 
and you feel like giving up, there's still a promise available to you if you go back to the Word and you read the will and you discover, nope, I'm still in the will. I'm still a part of his plan. He's still got a design for my life. Turn to the person next to you and say, you matter. <laughs> You're special. And when you feel as though circumstances have come in that somehow are separating you from God, listen to me today. Perhaps you wonder whether or not God is with you like he's with someone else that something has happened to you or you've made a mistake or perhaps a great pain or a loss has come into your life and you wonder perhaps my name might be written in the Lamb's Book of Life but I don't think that God is with me like he's with other people. And you wonder if something has cut off your connection to heaven. All you gotta do is open up the will and read from Romans chapter eight where Paul says, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on, son. Somebody. You are not separate from his promise. It can't be severed. He is still by your side. Because the truth is, at times we're lulled to sleep, thinking we're outside the will, but the truth is we're in it if we read it. Amen. Then we got to remind ourselves, no, 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 this is what I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow the will of the Father instead of the wind and wave of the world. I'm going to listen to the Father instead of my insecurity. I'm gonna to listen to what the Father says to me instead of my disappointment. And when those things pop up, which they do, that's the time to go back to the will and say, what do you say about it, Father? I'm sick in body. By my stripes you're healed. I'm feeling alone. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I lost my peace, I've got anxiety. I'll give you a peace that the world can't give you. I'll give you a strong and I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Friends, you need to know he's not left you nor forsaken you, but you gotta go back to the word to remember why. You gotta remember, yeah, who you really are. What is in the will doesn't become yours until you claim it. You access it until you pray it, until you step into it, until you walk it, until you fill the land, you build on the land. And it requires process and work. It's discovery, it's work moving forward, but it's also work. It's that paperwork of signing the documents. It's studying and believing. Jesus essentially said, you gotta ask for it. It's not, not just given to you without asking. When Jesus' disciples wanted to know how to pray, he said, pray this way, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, what? Your will be done. Let your will come 
It's a, it's a daily activation, living in the will, living in the promise. It's like it's on the top shelf, and I'm pulling it down. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth. Let it be done in my family. Let it be done in my life. Let it be done in my mind. Let it be done in my body. Let it be done in my career. Let it be done in my friendships. Let it be done in every part of my life. I want your will in my life. Yeah. Church, you need to be careful. You're going to start pulling something else out of me. For the Israelites, they needed to move in and unpack. They needed to settle in to where God had placed them. They needed to live in that promise. And they needed to be aware that the environment would affect their emotional, spiritual, relational, and physical realities. But they still needed to move into it. They had to have a special effort to embed the values of that first generation in the generations after them. Friends, I want you to know, I want you to settle for God's best, not just settle. Settle for God's best, not just settle. Um, as I was praying for today, praying for the church, been praying toward the future as a staff, We've been dreaming and praying, and I've been thinking, you know, I know that not everybody's at the same, same stage and walk of their faith journey, but I do believe if every one of us got one step closer, we'd experience more of God. And so I don't want, I don't want our church to be a church where the show is on the platform, and then everybody kind of pays their movie ticket price when the buckets go by in the offering, and then we walk out. That's called theater religion. But my desire is that every one of you are connected closer to God. That in the next six months, you know God better to then than you do today. And so that means we gotta go on a journey together. And if we're gonna go on a journey together, that means we, we, we gotta think about how we're going to access what's in the will together. How are we gonna move into the land and settle into the land? I believe that God wants us to think long and understand the opportunities and the dangers of where you choose to settle. There's an interesting little thing that happened with three of the tribes, well, two and a half, if you will. And that thing was is that two and a half of the tribes chose to stay east of, on the east side of the Jordan River. Moses gave them permission to do that. In fact, that was found in Numbers chapter 32. Just listen to this. The tribes of Reuben and Gad owned vast numbers of livestock. So when they saw that the lands of Jazer and Gilead were ideally suited for their flocks and herds. They came to Moses, Eleazar, the priest, and the other leaders of the community, and they said, notice the towns of Ashtoreth and Debon and Jazer and Nimrah and Heshbon and Elia, Sibba and Nebo and Beon, and you can pronounce all of those however you want. Verse four, the Lord has conquered this whole area for the community of Israel and is ideally suited for all of our livestock. If we have found favor with you, please let us have this land as our property instead of giving us land across the Jordan River. So what you had is these tribes that prior to moving into the promised land made a choice. This is where we want to live. And I've got a map to kind of describe this, okay? If you look up on the map, you'll see uh, big areas. The, uh, the yellow area is Manasseh on the left side and Manasseh on the right. You with me? Okay, now in between those two yellow areas, if there is a green line, you can't see that it's green, but I can, that goes straight down, okay? At the bottom of that line is the Dead Sea. 
That line is the Jordan River. At the top is the Sea of Galilee. All throughout the scripture, when the Israel was wandering around, they were coming in from the right side, which is the east. And then eventually they crossed over the Jordan and then they conquered the west side, which was the true promised land, okay? Now what happened was, is that Manasseh, half of the tribe of Manasseh, Gad and Reuben, all made the choice, hey, we wanna be on the, on the east side. So that, they got the approval to do that. But once they did that, they had to, they had to st still commit themselves and their armies to help the rest of the tribes in battle. So by the time we get here in, in Joshua 22, what's happened is, is now they've been a part of the fighting, and now that the settling is occurring, all the tribes of Manasseh, the half-tribe of Manasseh, Gad and Reuben, moved into their land. And here is the danger that I wanted to bring to you as the conclusion of my message. The danger was is it made it more vulnerable for them because they were no longer in proximity to the rest of the tribes. There's a geographical boundary that prevented them, called a river, from having a regular in relationship with them. And then, on top of that, they were vulnerable to the enemy attack because the tribes couldn't come to their rescue as easily. They made a decision to settle, but maybe not in God's best. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So something happened, and you can read about it in Joshua 22. They set up a worship altar, if you will, an area, and it, it, it alerted the rest of the tribes. What, you're starting another religion over there? You're supposed to worship with us. And they did it as a way to get the attention of the other tribes. And essentially they said, well, I'll read it from Joshua 22, verse 25. The Lord has placed the Jordan River as a barrier between our people and your, you people of Reuben and Gad. You have no claim to the Lord, so your descendants may prevent your descendants, our descendants, from worshiping the Lord. Verse 26, so we decided to build the altar, not for burnt offerings or sacrifices, but as a memorial. It will remind our descendants and your descendants that we too have the right to worship the Lord in his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and peace offerings. Then your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no claim to the Lord. Here's what I want you to catch. They set up an altar to make sure that they did not have drift away from the community that God wanted them to be a part of. And they weren't just thinking about themselves they were thinking about the next generation. America is so into me and this moment and living up to now that I think we've forgotten there are unintended consequences to our actions. Parents that spend all their time chasing around, giving every experience they can for their kids, but meanwhile their kids attend church once or twice a month, if that. And the unintended consequence is when the kids grow up, guess what normal is to the kids with their faith? They're more vulnerable and they're less connected to the rest of the faith community. Thanks for listening to Emmanuel Today. For more messages, visit emmanuelcc.org.